Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you are free to focus on the areas of your business which you are most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Earlier this week, I posted on social media that the show was headed to Queensland, Australia for this episode. I sure wish that was a literal statement. The episode itself features guests from Queensland, Australia. However, I have remained in the States. But I hope one day I will be able to make the trip and see such a beautiful country. The people of Australia have been great to this show. The fan base continues to grow and grow. And over the last couple seasons, we have acquired quite a few alumni out of Australia. Now, our guests this week are Josh Knight and Sky Leakinen of Knight's Equestrian. You're about to hear an amazing story of quite a bit of international travel, all in the pursuit of a better education in horsemanship. After many, many miles around the world, Josh and Skye have settled in Queensland, Australia, where they will establish their roots and further develop Knight's Equestrian. Now, after listening to the episode, you want to follow more of what Josh and Skye have to offer, you can find them on Instagram under knightsequestrian.sj, and that's knights with a K. Additionally, you can find them on Facebook under Knight's Equestrian or their website, knightsequestrian.com.au. Now, I would like to extend a thank you to everybody who reached out to us via social media. After last week's episode with Tristan Baroni, where we discussed emotional control and awareness, we received tons of great feedback and had some amazing conversation with all of you listeners. If you have not already, go find us on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. This year, we're going to place an emphasis on brand development, and it would help greatly if you gave us a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. As always, we cannot thank you enough for spending time with us here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast, advocating for the show and developing one of the greatest communities the Western industry has to offer. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Josh and Sky of Knights Equestrian. Here is our second year at our facility here in Leamington, um, Southeast Queensland. Uh, we opened in March uh, 2019. So we had a bit of a break over Christmas. So this year uh, we've just come back. Um, we're at full capacity already. We try and stay at about uh, 14 to 16 horses in work at a time. Um, as Josh and I, we're the, we're the only ones uh, working for ourselves. Um, we don't have anyone else helping us out. So we try and keep the numbers very reasonable to keep uh, a good job happening. Um, this year, not only are we trying to focus on our, our training horses, but we also have a great team of horses uh, that we own ourselves. Ourselves, um, that we're hoping to get out and compete on, but also continue forming our Liberty team. Um, and we're also hoping to get a few clinics happening here at our place and out and about um, throughout Australia. 
it's interesting. You guys got quite a bit going for for just two years in the business per se. And I know it's from the perspective of a formal business and right and starting to make a run at it, but you guys have quite a uh, a significant history in traveling the world in horsemanship. We'll get into all of those experiences here in a little bit, but I'd like to give listeners a little bit of context of of who you are and kind of go through your guys' histories and, and how you got your start with horses. And we will definitely travel the world in this episode, understanding how, how to learn better from the horse. So I, I sort of, my start with horses wasn't a typical, you know, everyone grows up with horses and becomes like that. So we sort of, I'm obviously from New Zealand originally, and um, we moved around quite a bit and lived in town, and I sort of had no interest in horses at all. I think when I was a young I might have been two or three my obviously my dad used to ride horses my mum used to ride horses and um, I think my granddad in New Zealand was one of the top show jumpers in his day there and um, so when when my dad went and hopped on a horse and he he put me up there and I was two or three I screamed my head off until they took me <laughs> took me off the horse <laughs> I, I hated it and um, that that was sort of my first and last time on a horse until I was about 11 where um my sister my sister actually wanted a horse so my, my normal girl wants a pony and yep. so my dad my dad went out and got my sister a sister a pony and um she convinced me after how long however long of owning it so, and um and then I kept going out each day and then I sort of stole the horse off her so they had to get a second horse for <laughs> my sister <laughs> So I sort of kept going with that, and then um, obviously my sister gave up and, and got lost interest, but um, I kept going. And uh, so in, in, I guess, I kept going and did all the pony club stuff as I was growing up, and then I started doing a bit of show jumping. Um, I tried the team rope. I tried roping <laughs> yeah. at one point, and I, I was terrible at it. It's quite the challenge, right? A lot of people, and I, in my own experience, there's a point when I, I'm starting off, I said, I can rope pretty good and I can ride pretty good, but when you put the two together, it all falls apart. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to put together. Yes. And um, so when I was, I guess I left school at 16 and um, my dad being sort of Pushed me in to get a trade. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. said, oh, "Once you leave school, you got to get a trade." So I become. Um, so I went and did my um, mechanic apprenticeship. So just working on cars. So on um, during the week, I would go and work doing the workshop and go to unit TAFE and do all my courses, and then um, sort of would finish at five o'clock each night, and I'd go back and ride my horse at night time, and then um, on the weekends because my dad he's a he was a vet as well so oh, growing okay. up with a vet obviously yeah. had animals everywhere and um he also he started up his own sort of podiatry barrier business okay so on the weekends i would go out shoeing horses so obviously i learned from him how to shoe the horses and um so i sort of never had any time off which is typical of most people in the horse industry, right? <laughs> yeah, you got you got to work all the time. So mechanic yeah. during the week, and then I, I sort of still love the horses, so I had to put that in somewhere. So we farry during the week, and then um, once I turned nineteen, sort of my mum had left left New Zealand, moved to Australia. Dad had left New Zealand, moved to Australia. So I was sort of left in New Zealand by myself, and. I went right. It's time to time to move to Australia. Obviously, yeah. I was to say, sounds like time to take a hint. Yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> I have to kind of move on. So I, I moved to the Sunshine Coast in Australia, and then I went. Um, I actually booked to go to Oklahoma, and I did. Um, they got Oklahoma Horseshoe in school there, mm-hmm. so I went. And, I went and did that for. I think it was eight eight weeks. I was there and learnt a lot of the um, made building shoes and doing that more corrective stuff. And of course, it was during winter, so it snowed all the time and it was bloody freezing. Probably a little different than the weather in New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, well, I just come from <laughs> Australia, middle of summer in Australia to to the snow. minus freezing temperatures of Oklahoma. Uh, yes, yeah, and then um, so I, from Oklahoma, I met. So obviously that was my first time in the states, mm-hmm. and um, meeting some of the people there, and they're still friends now, so they'll be lifetime friends. But how nice and welcoming everyone everyone is in the states was amazing to see it when I was when I was that young, and um, so obviously moving back to from there, finished finished that, went back to Australia, and I ended up. Applying for a job, it's called Australian Outback Spectacular. It's a, um, it's a it's sort of dinner time show. So it seats about how many people? Thousand. It seats about a thousand people. Okay. And there's a big sort of like you sit around the arena and mm-hmm. um, you got you do trick riding and sort of put on a big horse horse show. Over, like when you get a three course meal with that, and um, that's where I that's where I ended up meeting Sky. So she was working there at the time as well. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, um, obviously that's where our journey sort of started together was from, yeah, at the Outback Spectacular and we sort of built on from there. So, Sky, let's go into a little bit of your history and the start with horses and, and how it came to be. And then I guess once we talk, obviously because the Outback Spectacular is the, the mutual um, journey for you guys from there on out. We'll we'll go from there, but let's let's go into your history a little bit as far as your experience with horses up into that point of your life. For sure. So I was, uh, I guess, the typical one. Huh? I was very lucky. My mom um, has been horse crazy since she was a young kid. So I had my first pony uh, before I could walk. Um, I was a up until I had to go to school, <laughs> unfortunately. But my my pony was my life. Um, I did the pony club uh, for quite a few years and I developed a strong passion for the show horse and dressage disciplines. Mm-hmm. So I um, competed successfully throughout uh, sort of southeast Queensland, sort of into the northern New South Wales. I'd go to all the agricultural shows, um, competing with various horses that I had, ponies going through to the, the larger show hack. I also, that's where my very first uh, passion started for off-the-track thoroughbreds as well. Uh, so taking them from the track and doing yes. them up and turning them into a show horse. Uh, I also developed, obviously, a strong passion for dressage. And so I had uh, various horses throughout, like my childhood, competing um, through that as well. I was lucky enough when I was 17, I got selected to go into the Queensland Young Riders Dressage Squad. So that was a quite a big achievement for me and something that I, I had a goal for, which um, being able to do was amazing. So, Which um, I would assume is like a national riding team? Yeah, yeah. So I guess each, each state has uh, a, a squad each year that they develop okay. and you get uh, extra, like they bring in special coaches and that you can get lessons with um, all that sort of stuff. So it's like, like an equestrian development to ensure, like I guess the, the young riders are – 
continually developing themselves as writers. So that for me was a awesome opportunity mm-hmm. uh, to have. And I, I was I was very lucky. My parents were highly supportive of me. They always made sure I, I had really nice horses, um, really good facilities. I, I had a really good coach growing up. So I, I was very lucky in the start that I did have to my riding career, that's for sure. That's incredible. So what has um I have the note here that obviously you've done a little work with off the track thoroughbreds. Kind of explain some of that transition because there's a lot of programs out here that do it right and they almost do kind of rescue efforts, but uh, sometimes it's difficult to get those horses, no pun intended, but off the track, right? And starting to think a little bit more dynamically than just rather a north-south horse, right? That just is kind of muscle and on the bit. Yeah, definitely. So the the off-the-track thoroughbred is definitely not for the, the average person. I think to start out, like I think it's a great uh, opportunity for a professional rider to take on a rider, uh, uh, sorry, a horse off the track, and then gradually uh, give it education for someone else to take on. Some some of them that come off the track are generally super quiet and great, but most of them need that uh, bit of extra time and education to re-educate them to turn them into the great saddle horse that they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're one of the most versatile, willing, intelligent uh, breeds out there. I absolutely love and adore them and um, I really hope and I think Australia is starting to lead towards um, following the USA and really trying to find good programs to take those off the track thoroughbreds and turn them into um, having a a second career under saddle. Um, I was lucky enough obviously which we'll talk about a bit later but to compete in the thoroughbred makeover in the USA Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah that's something that I hope that I can, as part of our Knights Equestrian business that I would really love to do is not only, uh, which Josh and I have had a lot of experience with when we're in the States, is starting thoroughbreds for the track, but also in our business to develop a a good program that can really um, get off the track thoroughbreds out and about um, in all disciplines here in Australia. That would, that's something that I would absolutely love. And what's incredible for me, uh, one of my kind of draws and passion with this horsemanship thing and this horsemanship promote, uh, excuse me, pursuit is it? I truly think that there's a lot of great horses out there that aren't given any chances, right? Whether yes, they have an overwhelming mentality, right? Just a just a, a huge presence, whether it be physically or or from a, a personality standpoint, and the mismatching of horse and human obviously has a huge role in that, but. For me personally, it'd it'd be nice to maybe one day achieve that level of education to where, you know, we can give some of these horses that that people don't give a chance, give these horses a chance and see what can become of it. And I can can speak a little bit in my personal experience, you know. Uh, I was given a – I bought a roping horse a couple years back and uh, he was the start of my horsemanship pursuit. And I was told, don't do this and don't do that and he can't do this and he won't do that and – Honest to God, when we were at our pre-purchase uh, vet check, the the horse would not go to the right on a lunge line. Just would not do it because as a team roping horse, yeah. he goes straight, he goes left, he goes straight, he goes left. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of those stigmas that were thrown on this horse as far as what he could and could not do have been broken. But it's taken a lot of effort and patience on my part and trying to instill a little confidence in that horse. You know, and I, I see the thoroughbred as being a lot like the rodeo horse, right? They're almost a one-track mine. They're very, very athletic, very, very driven horse, but 
oftentimes when that horse becomes overwhelming, they're just shoved aside or disregarded or sold many times over and never, never given a fair chance. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that, and that's what I really hope to that. I can um, really change that mindset that given the right chance um, of a good education after the track, that they can be a horse for anybody and any discipline. Good stuff. So have you always, has horses always been your profession or did you transition from another? (laughs) This is, this is quite funny actually. So no, no, they haven't. So a bit like uh, uh, Josh's family, my my parents said, "Look, like I I was so horse crazy. I I was after school. I wanted to go ride show ponies in England. Like I had it all set out. But um, they said, look, can you please go do a profession? So I first enrolled in uh, some equine science course, um, and then I changed to personal training. I didn't actually like complete any courses. I just changed this." Uh, throughout a period of like a three-month time from finishing school um, to going to university. Mm-hmm. And so then I finally uh, decided to be a school teacher. So I had a, a year off after school, um, which I got to spend a bit more time with my horses and I did a little bit of traveling. Um, and then I come back and that's when I also got my job at the Australian Outback Spectacular. And I think you were there a few years before me. Yeah, I was there for a few years before Josh. I was there for almost five years all up. So I did start working there when I was, I must have been 19 or 20. And so that's the job that got me through my university degree, to be honest, because I had obviously horses, I had bills to pay for. So it was a job that allowed me to go to university during the day, but then I could work at nighttime full time as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my, my degree was four years and um, yeah, I was I did a specialization in health and physical education. Okay. So here's here's a great part about the horse world and, and we've had quite a few guests, right, who you run into that that fork in the road, right? Where you have the stability of a profession, right? And you know, paychecks are gonna show up in and out. Um, yeah. but then you also have that draw the what I call is a passion profession, right? Something that just burns in your heart and you just can't get rid of it, you know. So for you guys, I guess mutually, obviously meeting at the Australian Outback Spectacular was kind of the common meeting ground or the common place for you guys, but what what drove your decisions to pursue this this horsemanship deal as, as a full-time thing and kind of hang up the stability of either being a diesel mechanic or, or being a school teacher? Yeah, so like, at, so once Josh and I met at Outback Spectacular, um, we actually, uh, unbeknown to us, we'd actually both booked a trip to America. So I was going to a summer camp in California and Josh was going up to Canada. Uh, I was going to Canada, Canada. yeah. Okay. And so we sort of, um, when we first got together, sort of had uh, three months apart where we went and uh, did those things. And when we come home, obviously, we we had our professions that we sort of had to go back to. So then that's when we made the choice to move to Western Australia, uh, more so 16 hours north of Perth in what they call the Pilbara. Well, I think we were were sort of working at Outback and um, we're like, right, it's time to get a get a real job, mm-hmm. yeah. make mm-hmm. money, make money, and get a real job. So <laughs> we thought we'd, we thought we'd try try that route, and yep. um, that's how we ended up there. Yeah, and so at that time, Josh's dad was there uh, working as a vet in this particular mining town, so it did give us sort of a reason to go there. So. I got the job as the sport teacher at the local primary school because there. It's pretty hard to get into those those towns unless you've got a job where they sort of give you a house. Because I think rent for a house there is fifteen hundred bucks a week, or 
something like that. Yeah, like it's it's quite hard, like without the house to to get a job in this particular mining town. So obviously, being the school teacher there, I was lucky enough to get given a house, which then gave Josh the foot in the door to get a. Uh, job as a mechanic in the mines there. So mm-hmm. we spent about uh, three years all up there. Um, we also we had we brought our horse all the way from Queensland all the way across with us uh, to Western Australia, and we poor, poor horse <laughs> went from nice rocks and spinifex. Spinifex is like it's a little pointy bush. Yeah, it's real. You can't touch it. It stabs you. Yeah, the right. poor the poor bugger. So. Josh and I obviously kept our, our passion for the horses up while we're over there. We started a horse, few horses for the local stations. I um, taught kids to ride um, after school. Uh, obviously, we would travel, how's this? We would travel eight hours for one dressage test. Oh, my um, Lord. That's a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit of travel. Yeah, so uh, we definitely, we, we still had that horse bug while we we're there. And Here's, here's an example of how far apart everything was so we it was eight hours to the town we blew one tire i think three hours out of town out of our town and changed that and then another couple hours later we blew another tire oh no so obviously we didn't have any spare because it's it's stinking hot there yeah i think um it gets like 125 degrees and oh jeez yeah and what's that 45 yeah, 50 degrees, yeah. Celsius. And um, so I, I had to leave Sky and the horses on the side of the road with the trailer. And I, I drove another, I think, two hours <laughs> to a, go and a get pilgrimage these tires for a tire. <laughs> yeah, I drove two hours to get these tires changed. Well, and then I, I managed to get it just before the, it's only a tiny little town, just before he's closing. And I, I can, somehow convinced him. To change his tires, I said, I'll do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't going to do it. And then, obviously, the two hours back, pick up Sky and the horses, put the tires on, and then carry on the next couple of hours to the show. We, we all sit yeah. here and laugh about it, right? I had a, a, a similar experience. Obviously, I was not driving multiple hours to find a tire. I was just driving about one, one hour. But it's those moments, right, that make the success that much sweeter when it shows up because uh, – in the trenches, it's overwhelming and it's frustrating and it's stressful, especially being in that heat and that secluded and the pressure of having to find a tire. And But I think it makes it makes the memories that much more enjoyable, right, when you're able to reflect and, yeah. and look back it and gives, laugh. It gives you a good story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we've, got, we've got plenty of ones for up there. So, yeah, so I guess um, I did a, a – so we did three years up there. One of the years I did actually go out to a cattle station um, and I worked out on the station for the year. Um, I absolutely loved it. I feel like if, if the horses weren't my absolute number one thing in life, I, I would find myself probably out in a cattle station, to be honest. So I, when Scott, when Scott was out there, my work, my roster for the mines was six days, well, three days, three nights, and then six days off. So on my days off, I would, I would drive out to the station and um, take the horses out there, and I'd, I'd, I'd even go and work on the station with her because it was so much fun. It was yeah. probably taste like doing mustering. Oh, mustering was the best. That, yeah. That's one of the best feelings, chasing these bulls through the bush and your little in your buggy, you're just <laughs> flying through trees. And... Yeah, it was it was the absolute best. So I loved it. But um, I ended up coming back into town and I did um, a year of relief work. So there was a few, uh, prim- well, was two primary schools in the main town and then there was another town about an hour's drive that I would do relief work for and I don't know, Josh and I, like, 
you know when you, you you wake up in the morning and we just you weren't excited to go to work. Yes, it just... absolutely. I think there was there was one one day. It was um, Christmas Day. Sky had flown back to Queensland to see your family. This is a big turning point for me, anyway. Where um, so I I got up Christmas morning, went to went to work, and I was out. I was on breakdowns, and there's a big digger down in one of the pits, and um, that he sit, sitting in the truck, and it said 50 degrees on the dash, which is 100 and. 125 Which or whatever it was. Too hot. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, was, I, was, I was sitting there staring at that, sitting in the aircon in the truck going, oh, this, this is miserable. I'm sitting in here Christmas Day like, and no one's at home. I've got, it's bloody stinking hot and I've got to go fix this digger. Yeah. And, and I'm going, this is, this this is, is not, not what I'm in. This is not the picture I wanted to paint for my life. Yeah. 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 So I think we just... Yeah, we both just like the money was awesome, and like, like everyone's like, oh, you you make sure like you this is the this is the time of your life when to be earning the best money that you possibly can, so you can save and save, and so you can buy the house, so you can do this and you can do that. But like, it just wasn't Josh and I. Like yeah. it, like yeah. it, it just wasn't. So then that's when we decided to. That's when we. We sort of looked on, looked where we, we wanted to go to Canada again because mm-hmm. we had such, well, I had such a good time there and, and um, up in the mountains and I, I performed at Calgary Stampede when we were there. Oh, really? And um, we are like, right, we want to go to Canada. And um, well, actually, so that performance, um, when we are working at Outback Spectacular, we did, it, it was a light horse show. So, you know, the old, um, it's the Australian light horse, um, the cavalry, cavalry, I think, in America they call it. Mm-hmm. And um, they do reenactments of it. So mm-hmm. the Stampede invited them over to do a reenactment, and um, I went over with one of, one of my friends in that group. And um, I, I trained. We trained some horses, and he, my friend, did Roman riding and um, the sort of the jousting. What are they, they, they do the pe- tent pegging and things like that. And then I, I had a horse where um, they said, "Oh, you want to join the army?" So I'd come in and sort of bit of put a bit of a comedy thing together where. I try to jump on, and the horse lays down and rolls on its back, and just sort of <laughs> making a bit of a fool of myself. And so that, that was our experience with the stampede, and and then um, we went up and did pack trips in the mountains, so week long pack trips with the people we borrowed the horses off. Oh, so, sweet! I know we were uh, last September. We went up towards Calgary. We were in Nanton, Alberta, for Heart of the Horse, and. Uh, yeah. God, it's just beautiful country up there. Just absolutely gorgeous. And everybody was so accommodating and um, it was they absolutely are. incredible. And now the uh, the stampede is definitely on our bucket list to get back up there at some point. And I mean, rodeo's rodeo when it all comes down to it. But to see an event of that magnitude, I feel is kind of kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yes. Yeah, we loved it. So, yeah, that's where it's it started for us. I guess we packed up and sold everything here in Australia. Um, we brought, we had two dogs and obviously our horse. We drove all the way back from Western Australia to Queensland, left them with my parents. It's a week long, week, week, week drive. Week drive, yeah, oh, especially with the animals. Because obviously yeah. you got the horse, so you want to mm-hmm. give him mm-hmm. um, a bit of rest and here's, stuff like here, that. And here's another little bit of a challenge we had <laughs> coming, coming back across. So the, it's called the Nullarbor, which is right down the bottom of Australia. And um, it's a couple of thousand k's of just nothing. It's, it's nothing. It's just straight roads. <laughs> oh just, no! It's like little bushes and rocks, and that that's about. There's no water, you and um, anything like that. So we were driving. We left early in the morning. We're driving along, and we stopped to check everything was alright, and then um, took off again. And 
just before we got, I think we got about 70 k's, so 40 mile an hour or something, mm-hmm. and um, the back wheel fell off. Like the wheel itself, so, the whole thing. The whole wheel fell off. So <laughs> oh, it was seared, all the wheel studs, everything just snapped off, went under the under the trailer, lift that, and then so we luckily we managed to but scrape off the road enough <laughs> yeah. to, to get to get out and so I'm sit, we're sitting on the side of the road middle of nowhere there's 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 nothing for a thousand k's I'm once again on the side of the road holding the horse <laughs> for two dogs <laughs> it's bad that you guys you guys mutually have kind of an operating procedure right when something falls off of a vehicle sky go ahead just set up with the horses uh, and yeah. Josh I'll be right back and we're running to town and yeah. fix whatever we need to fix and <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, so we were lucky. I had all my tools, and because being the mechanic, I keep spare everything. Yeah. So I had all the wheel studs. So I'm I'm on the side of the road pulling the the freaking bearings and axle out of the bloody uh, out of the car. And then um, as road trains are shooting past every now and then, so um, managed managed to get that all fixed up. And then it was. Easy, easy drive. Back at it, that, right? But, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything's <laughs> easy when when you deal with a wheel falling off and and overcome that <laughs> adversity. Yeah, so we were lucky. <laughs> we were lucky. We weren't going much quicker, and um, it would have been bad it, if we were going quicker. Yeah, and it yeah. didn't didn't destroy too much stuff underneath. We're able to at least make it home and then no. fix it. It's scary. It's not a good feeling. I, I blew a tire just outside of a uh, New Mex- Albuquerque, New Mexico, one time. And uh, I was in the fast lane, right? We have two lanes that we were driving in and I was in the left lane and I had just completed passing another big rig. And for whatever reason, I just looked in my mirror right at the right moment, right? And you start to see that tire come come undone and unraveled. And fortunately, I was able to get to the right and get on the shoulder before causing any more damage to my trailer or anybody else in traffic. But it's not a good feeling going down the highway knowing that you're one wheel short or the wheel that you did have was now a quarter it's, mile it's behind the you. Worst, it's the worst feeling. Yes, not comforting. It's crying out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess we, we got home and then we'd we'd booked a flight to um, Canada because we received well we applied for a job with a chuck wagon driver um, for the, the, the season at the Calgary Stampede. It's the four thoroughbreds hooked to a wagon which they raced. Yeah, so they, they start off as like a barrel pattern and then they head off a, around a big racetrack. So there's actually in Canada, it's quite quite big, the chuck wagon racing. Uh, there's there's a, quite a lot of people that follow it, quite a lot of large sponsors. So the, the driver we were working for, he um, had won Calgary a number of times before. Um, so, yeah, I guess we, we started the circuit traveling with him and that was just like a whole new different horse world again. It's just... Um, absolutely amazing these the the amount of um i guess money that gets put in behind these drivers is is just crazy like they've all got these big uh semi trailers with 22 horses in their truck that travel full time on the road with them so there was yeah so it was me and sky and the driver looking after 24 horses yeah that was on the road and then back at his farm he had another 20 on horses that like if we needed to we could change out with and stuff like that She's by the time you get done feeding in the morning, it's time to feed in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> it was crazy. So, like, when we're obviously the race season started, like, yeah, I guess our morning was sort of like barn chores, and then we'd sort of help him hook up the wagon horses. He'd take them for a run. Josh and I were also, because we could ride, he also got us to exercise the outriding horses, which is, uh, I guess, behind the wagon in the race, there's two. Uh, 
out riding horses that follow behind the wagon that also must cross in a certain period of time after the wagon to complete the race to ensure that the wagon driver can win as well. So it's not just based on the wagon driver. And the trick is that you have to vault vault on as the horn goes. You've got to be on the ground, vault onto your horse, and then follow the wagon. Yeah, like I was going to say, like, for, before we get too far into it, for anybody listening right now who has not watched any kind of this, this chuck wagon racing, um, this is not your wagon going down the middle of the road in a parade. <laughs> no, no. Vastly different and uh, quite hairy, in my opinion. It, it's yeah. probably one of the wildest, scariest oh, things ever, ever, insane. ever. I remember the first time I watched yeah. it, I'm like, what are these people doing? <laughs> yeah, like it was just crazy. But then obviously for me, because they use off-the-track thoroughbreds, like that was just so cool. Like this driver mm-hmm. had... Mm-hmm. Uh, horses that were 16 and 17 years old that were still racing in his team. Wow. Like, like what an opportunity for those yes. off-the-track thoroughbreds yes. um, to, to live that life. And honestly, like, they only have to work for six months of the year. The other six months of the year, they're just out in the paddock being looked after. Like, it, it's such a good opportunity for these horses. And honestly, like, these horses loved their job. Like, if they got left behind back at the barn or something like that when the other horses went out to race, they are like, ah, why not That's me? incredible. Like, it was... Like it was, it was just so cool, and they're 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 so well looked after. These horses, the the drivers, like they just that was their pride and joy. Whatever the yeah. horses needed, they yeah, they what, got it. Whatever they got, like they we had like body workers, laser treatment. Oh vets, wow! Like we were we were up until like two a.m. Especially at Calgary Stampede, we had them. Um, Uh, getting electrolytes and and everything like that after they raced like these horses were just immaculately kept they're they're athletes that's incredible that's really incredible yeah Yeah. so that was that was super cool experience and so obviously yeah we went to calgary we love panoka stampede panoka was just another electric atmosphere um absolutely love we've traveled most of alberta went into saskatchewan raced it like saskatoon Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we and we didn't. I don't think we made it to BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we we traveled in there anyway. But um, yeah. we've traveled most of Alberta. Yeah, yeah. Did a lot of Alberta with the chuck wagons. So that was definitely an an awesome opportunity. And um, yeah, another whole learning curve again in in learning about horses and how things work and. Um, yeah, definitely. Like that's a, uh, if anyone wants an adrenaline rush, go sit in a chuck wagon. Like that oh, is the gosh. ultimate. Not in a million. You probably couldn't pay me enough money. <laughs> <laughs> I have one one story where I, I tell people what it was like. So I'd I'd sit in the back of the wagon behind the seat, and I'd have the horn. So the driver would go up to the barrels. I'd blow the horn, and I'd hold on for dear life. <laughs> yes. As the wagon yes. sliding sideways around these barrels. Yeah. And then once he gets around that first corner. I've then got to climb from the back into the seat. So I'm, I'm, as I'm climbing up, the wheel is just below me and the ground is flying past. I'm going, do not fall or I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I couldn't even imagine, not even in a million years, imagine the experience. Uh, that's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. But even even just exercising the outriding horses is awesome. Like them getting to stop top speed beside those wagons, you're just like, this is just unreal. It was it was just so cool. We we really did love it. Yeah. So, what a great experience. Um, but yeah, I guess once we finished up with the, the Chuck wagons there, that's what led us back to uh, Chuck and Terry McKinney. 
Um, they're, who, they're the people I we borrowed the horses off for the first time. I went to the Calgary Stampede, oh, okay. so I yeah. became became good friends with them. Yeah. So we went up. We went up and um, just so I think we just sort of turned up at their place. <laughs> yeah, we did. And they, they <laughs> and during during the summer, they sort of they live almost in the near the mountains, so sort of straight west of Red Deer, mm-hmm. and. So they they sort of set up base camp in the foothills there, where they I think they take twenty horses there, and they they live all summer pretty much in the hills there. So we sort of drove in, and they don't have phone reception there or anything. So we sort of just turned up, commandeer the house we, while they're out of camp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so which, which was cool. And then um, we said, hey, can we can we hang out with you for the rest of the summer? And um, so we we ended up doing the. Uh, Pack trips with week long pack trips up up with them and taking guests in the in the mountains and doing the rides up into like into Banff National Park yeah. and beautiful beautiful park. Oh, it was absolutely spectacular. It yeah, was yeah, just beautiful. It was incredible. So we went down to a, obviously being that close, right? We wanted to see Lake Louise, and I have this huge living quarters trailer that I'm dragging down these little itty bitty windy roads and. <laughs> People are looking at me sideways because uh, everybody's trying to pack onto these little roads getting down to the lake, right? And here I am with this horse trailer, basically creating my own path of travel because when people see a trailer that size coming through, obviously they get out of the way. But needless to say, you got to pay a little bit of attention so I didn't wipe out cars to the left and right of me. Yeah, you end up taking people out. Yeah. It was an <laughs> awesome experience though. Awesome experience to get down yeah. to the lake and the color blue that I've never seen before in my life. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, oh, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. That's Good for stuff. sure. Good stuff. So Chuck and Terry, they also, they along with their pack trips, they, did, they also did a lot of um, training horses. And um, they trained, like, they called it like a mountain horse. So they did the training for people that wanted a safe horse that they could go in the mountains and mm-hmm. be able to do all the all the camp stuff and be able to, go up and down these super steep hills and they, they were crazy the stuff they would go up and down <laughs> yeah so seeing seeing horses that can actually do these mountains and without tripping it's incredible yeah. especially when you talk about the difference between a mule and a horse right to find that confidence and ability in a horse uh it's pretty impressive yeah, yeah like the places we went to like was just crazy like um, but yeah, like all those horses were super safe, so well, well-rounded, great in the mind. Like they really, really did a good job of their horses. Um, yeah. So any, any guests coming on their pack trip was definitely on a really safe, um, mountains and they did a really good job of matching their, their riders to their mounts for each of the week long pack trips. Um, it always worked out really well. And if it wasn't working so well, they'd go, Hey, let's try this. That's which the riders around and stuff like that. So they're always really, really accommodating to their guests. Um, and the, obviously the food as well. Like they, we had a full-time cook there and um, breakfast, lunch, dinner. It was, it was just spectacular. Didn't, didn't know you could eat so well in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, now it's all starting to make sense while you just kind of stop on in and say, hi, can I hang out for the summer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. good, good horses, great yeah. food. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be yeah. down with that. Yeah. Um, so I guess as as the summer was winding up, um, it, I was I was starting to freak out about winter. It gets cold in Canada, <laughs> yeah, just a bit. <laughs> we we actually we, we looked we applied for a bunch of jobs in Canada and sort of horse training jobs and um, working for a few people. It just sort of didn't work out, and then we were worried that it was going to get cold. And being 
I'm now Australian. Yes. <laughs> not New Zealand, so I'm now Australian. And, and, go, and spending winter there riding horses seemed a bad idea. So Yeah, that's when we um, decided to head down south. So that's when I sent a message to a friend back home here, um, Donald, and I knew he was good friends with and he had spent a lot of time with Dan James and I'd, I'd mm-hmm. seen that Dan mm-hmm. had bought a farm in Lexington recently. Yeah. So I sent a message to Donald. I was like, hey, any chance you could give us a contact for Dan? would love to go learn some um, things from him while we're over here. So he got that all sorted out for us. Dan literally called us like come down whenever. So literally that's when we um, drove down from um, Canada down to Lexington. I think we spent six, six weeks there and then we went to Josh Lyon's place. Yeah. Oh, wow. After that. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, while we were at Dan's place, literally, I think it was like our second or third day there, Dan's like, hey, do you guys want a job? And we're like, Whoa, huh? like Dan James just asked us for a job. We're like, are you serious right now? Like, um, and uh, he, he said he would help us out with our visas and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's where I guess it started with Dan. But like I said, we did, we did, we'd already planned to spend some time with um, Josh Lyons mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. before taking up the job with Dan. So that's when, yeah, we did go down with him. And then I guess we had to come home and start sorting out our, our, I guess, our life to move to the States to actually work permanently for Dan then. Yeah. Um, so. I was going to say, what um, an incredible opportunity to uh, just up and relocate to a completely different country, right? Get to get to ride some amazing horses and then realize, that's ah, too cold, let's fly south for the winter. And you end up with a pretty darn good horseman who just happens to <laughs> employ you within 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, 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 we're, we're just... I don't know. I guess it's just one of those things. Like we've just always walked into the right place at the right time, it, and it and it's always just not being afraid to reach out. Like just to pick up the phone and call someone. Like you, you just never know. Like Dan was just like, yeah, for sure, come down. Yeah. Like, like we yeah. never met, we never met him. We never right? met him. We'd never we've we'd met Dan Steers, but not Dan mm-hmm. James. We'd mm-hmm. done a clinic with Dan Steers here in Australia back when we were in the Pilbara. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he sort of, yeah, didn't know who we were, what we'd done or anything like that. So, um, yeah. Pretty trusting on his part. Uh, that was the incredible thing. Yeah. What I think is most marvelous about this, and I'm going to say the Western way of life, right, is that these quote-unquote celebrities are just so accessible and willing to help where it's not – you can't find that in other industries or professional sports, you know. And obviously Dan's, no. been, a, Dan's been a previous guest here on the show and – I had interviewed Nikki Flunder previous to him and Nikki and I were talking and she said, Hey, who else would you like to have on the show? And you know, the typical answer is, Hey, anybody that you feel is good for this show, you know, put me in contact and we'll figure it out. And she says, well, how about Dan James? And I said, excuse me. And she said, yeah, let me see if I can get Dan on the show for you. And it, it was the same exact experience. It was a phone call and a text message and Dan James is going to be on the show. You know, it was, yeah. it was great. And, uh, He's done very good things for the show, and obviously we met him up there at Heart of the Horse in person and got to hang out a little bit with him and Elizabeth, and uh, just very, very, very kind, genuine, incredible people. You know, I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, well, we're, we're exactly the same, obviously, so I guess that's where our journey uh, started. So we, we did get to spend two years with um, Dan and Elizabeth uh, there in Lexington, Kentucky, and so I guess Josh and I took a, sort of took on the role of looking after the, the training facility uh, side of Dan's program um, there. So uh, I guess we would have about probably at Dan's place between 
16 to 20 horse training horses in work there. So uh, we obviously Dan spent a lot of time um, teaching us how to long rein, colt starting, the liberty. Like he he really gave us a, a really good, well rounded education. There's there's not one thing that Dan can't do. He's written mm-hmm. dressage, he's written eventing, he's done colt starting, he's mm-hmm. done liberty, mm-hmm. obviously learning from Heath Harris. Like. He really is such a well-rounded horseman. There's, there's not many people that has the, the skill asset that he does. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, the thing is that he, he's genuinely out there to help everybody that comes to the farm because obviously uh, there was Josh and I, but then there was also other interns that come and go, other people that just wanted to come for a couple of weeks and just come help out and learn a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, Anne Elizabeth really had open doors there. Uh, for people coming in and out and for that learning opportunity. Um, so Dan obviously travelled a lot for clinics. Uh, Josh or I got to travel with him for that. That was another good part of our the job there, that we got to travel to the expos and and obviously go to the expos and clinics and shows and performances, which is, which is another good part of it. Yeah. Obviously you guys have a lot of experience in, in performing, right, whether it's with, you know, at Calgary with the, with the chuck wagon stuff or at the Outback Spectacular and, I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into not only the horsemanship, right, to get these animals prepared, but the production side of things. Or in this case, like you talk about, I mean, everybody would love to travel as a clinician, but it's not all glitz and glamour. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah, like it's it's everything that you got to think of from packing up the trailer, the feed that you need, um, obviously booking the stabling. So I would look after all that side of uh, it for Dan as well. Like I did a lot of the the business side mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, of things as well for Dan. And so there's just it's a huge like obviously making sure um, obviously the vet certificates, the health certificates. Yes, like there's, there's, there's so much lot. that goes in behind into just going for a demonstration at an expo um, that goes behind the scenes that I guess to the untrained eye, like you you wouldn't know how much work actually goes in, like the washing of the horses, uh, all all that sort of stuff. So Dan really gave us a really good opportunity to see absolutely everything that that really goes in. And also how to, to, because obviously horses at shows, you you get your crowd and everything reacts differently. The horses react differently to the atmosphere and you obviously get the pressure, feel the pressure and Mm -hmm. um, we learn how to, to manage yourself and the horses under, in that sort of environment to not, to not have it go badly for you. Yeah. yeah. So I want to just kind of build on that since you offered it up. What what have been some things that have proven you success? Because obviously in any any sport where people are competing on a horse or even let's say, you know, teaching something new to a horse, right? There's always that pressure to perform. So what for you guys did you find successful or find helped you guys bring success um, when faced with that kind of stress or pressure? I guess the... I start starting with teaching them. I guess we mm-hmm. we our, our our sort of deal here is when when before we sort of teach anything to them, we got to have them what's weird, like relaxed, relaxed and and, and, focused, and like focused, and then and then we can go to asking the the stuff of them, mm-hmm. and then say we're at, at the show. You always see some some like at the show it can get a bit sort of like fast and rough. Mm-hmm. The the Calmer and quieter, and just more relaxed and easy. You can keep it yourself. It just it ends up being a lot 
the horse reads that and it's 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 a, a huge a huge side of it is actually us ourselves that mental Correct. state of being yes. calm and relaxed and staying focused yourself like i remember performing at outback spectacular like i I wouldn't even know that there was a thousand people sitting there. And to be honest, like it was literally me and my horse, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. and and that's a that's a huge thing to be able to do is to not worry about what anyone else is thinking about you. Don't worry about what anyone else is saying. It's it's literally in that moment, it's you and your horse, and that's the biggest thing that you have to remember is is no matter what situation is like, whether it's a our biggest event, horse show event of the year, or if it's just you and your horse out in the paddock at home and something upsets it. It's just maintaining that focus and relaxation and keeping that relationship strong between um, you and your horse in that moment. So that that's a, a huge part of, I think, especially with the performance horse side of it, like that what Dan does is just really maintaining that um, really strong mental capacity yeah. between yeah. your partner. And another thing to not stress about is that if it doesn't go well, there's it, it honestly it doesn't doesn't really matter it just gives you something else to work on yeah and that's the biggest yeah. thing with this horsemanship that i have experienced right is it at first the unknown or the unfamiliar is scary right you don't want to go there because you yeah. don't know how to fix it um, yeah but then you get to a point well hopefully you get to a point where you're frustrated enough with the last lack of success that it's time to try things differently and now it's to the point where you almost you, you seek the failure because you start to learn where the holes are in your game and, and what you Definitely. can improve on or how you can, whatever it is, smooth out a transition or clean up a collection or, or maintain that draw of the horse just a hair longer. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's exciting. Yeah, def definitely. Trying to, trying to find where you can improve mm -hmm. yourself in the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why it's the whole, that's the horsemanship. It sort of never ends, does it? No, it's, 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 to me, it's a blessing, right? Cause you can forever be a student forever. Yeah, definitely. So was Dan's the culmination or, or was there more paths traveled between then and you guys forming Knights Equestrian? So yeah, like obviously our, 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 and we said to Dan at the very beginning, like our ultimate goal for Josh and I would be to come back and open our own business. Like mm -hmm. we said that to start Dan and we said we probably only have. And the visas were pretty hard. Oh, the visa was just. It was pretty hard to get. That, that would be one of our biggest challenges. I think that we've, we've ever faced. Um, obviously we, we had to do a few trips in that, in that time we were there backwards and forwards between Canada and Australia, mm -hmm. um, try, trying to make that work. Um, it, it's, a, it's a shame that it is it is such a hard thing for Aussies to, to get into the States. Obviously, you've got that 90-day visa waiver, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, but obviously you can't work on that. So getting a, an appropriate working visa was was did prove quite difficult for us, and I had many tears because <laughs> um, there was a couple – there was one time there where – um, at our visa interview up in Canada where they, they did deny us and so we did have to come home to Australia and re-interview here in Australia. Um, so that that was a – at that moment there when they when they turned us down in Canada there, like I was like, it's all over Red Rover, like we're, we're yeah. done. And um, But, yeah, as soon as when we come back to Australia, walked into the visa interview office, three questions, five minutes, and we were done. We have – Boom had our visa and we're on the on the plane back. So um, yeah, that definitely put a, a twist in our our story at times. But it, it all comes through in the end, and that's once again thanks to Dan Elizabeth. Like they was 
so positive and so consistent and whatever we needed for that visa, like they, they got it for us. So they were really, really good in that sense. Another good bit about being with Dan and Elizabeth was because he was obviously up there in the horse world and being able to travel with them meet and meeting all of these really good horse people mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. from America, Canada, different parts of the world. Yeah. Being able to meet them, meet them, talk to them, ask them questions and just learn from them. Yeah, like the like just a few people, like because Dan would invite them to come to a clinic at his place. So uh, Clayton Fredericks, who is an Aussie eventer, um, we also had Craig Johnson, uh, uh, Warwick Schiller come to Dan's place leading up to the World Equestrian Games. Same with Brett Parbury, who is a top Australian dressage rider. Um, who else did we have there? We had uh, uh, when, when Dan was preparing for um, Roads of the Horse, I yeah. went down and spent some time with Chris Cox down there, and yeah. Um, I was actually at Chris. I was at Chris's place when that uh, when that performance was going on. Oh yes, yeah. We were riding, and I I remember we broke for lunch. We we're out in the middle of a pasture. We broke for lunch, and everybody's fighting to find cell phone service so we can get some sort of text update from <laughs> from Road yeah. of the Horse to find out what was going on. Being able to watch it, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, and oh, Road to the Horse was just another awesome thing. Like, and that was oh, the other side of Dan's business that I did look after as well was like, I guess the merchandise. So okay. I would look after the booth at expos, so ensuring we had the correct stock orders, um, talking to people um, at the booth and everything like that. So Dan really did give us a good opportunity as a not only the, the horsemanship side of things, but also running a business. Because uh, like we also ran the training facilities, so I took in the bookings. I dealt with um, the clients, uh, invoicing and all that sort of stuff. There's, there's actually a lot more than just training a horse. Well, I think that's the biggest deficit with people who step off into the training training world, right? Is and I think of it myself. The horse side of the part, the horse side would be the easier of the two, right? Managing a business yeah. and books and scheduling. I mean, that's the stuff where most people fall apart. Yeah. And then the other side of it, I think that um, got a lot of people like that comes down. Oh yeah. Like I want to, I want to come learn and everything like that. But all I wanted to do was ride, but there's mm -hmm. also, there's eating, there's mucking stalls, there's fixing fences, there's mowing, there's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, building projects, building extra shelters, cleaning fixing waterers, cleaning our trains. Like it, it just like, he really gives everyone there like the really the real side of if you're going to own your business like yeah. you're literally you're, you're everything you're yeah there's it, it's just not the horses that's, that's where being a handyman I, I noticed a lot of good horse trainers are really good handyman yeah. Yeah. yeah you become self like self-sufficient yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you get good at doing stuff Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. So let's develop. I mean, we've talked a lot about all of your worldly travels, right? And you've been exposed to some phenomenal, phenomenal horsemen and mentors. You know, how has that formulated your approach and and how you address horsemanship as far as Knights Equestrian goes? So I guess, obviously, we learned heaps from everyone. And um, everyone, everyone has a different way of doing their their thing and obviously the creative but um there's always the the part that you're not you're not them so you're always going to have something slightly different so you've got to make it work for you for yourself as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and and obviously for your horse so you you can take like we've we've taken different parts from a lot of people and put put this into this this horse and been able to work this so it works for me that i can i can do it with this horse and that works great and then 
that same thing might not work for the next horse that, yeah, that the comes versatility. in. So the versatility that it has given us. And I think I think the reason why our business is proving successful is that there is the two of us and that we both have a wide range of capabilities. Like I obviously have a strength a strong English writing background where mm-hmm. Josh is done more of the the western side of it but then the time we spent with them we've both done the the starting horses under saddle under saddle and also working with problem horses as well so one of our main our main business here at the moment is probably breaking in and or starting and obviously we get some horses with a few issues yeah yeah it's such a pivotal point in any horse's journey right because on one on one side you want to create a strong foundation in which that horse can thrive on and and in even I think is a more challenging fashion is basically rewriting bad habits, right? Yeah, yeah. And so like the big the big part of our program here is that we are uh, very open doors. Like we encourage our clients to come watch their horse, and we also get them to work with it because sure we we can fix the problem, but we always say to them, there's always the chance that this horse can go back to the way it was. So we give them the the tools that we've found that works for this particular horse to help them get through that problem if it does arise for them. So it's not just so much people sending a horse to us and we get it going. It's really important that they they understand why we've done this, what we're doing, and that they can take it away and put it in place when they get the horse home as well. And in my opinion, I think that truly demonstrates a genuine heart when it comes to horsemanship, right? There's many trainers out there that are just dirty trainers, right? And they do what yeah. they have to do to keep horses in the barn so they can keep income and, and pay the bills. But to be able to train a horse up, to be able to instill the confidence and communication in that horse's owner to where they can independently yeah. step off, right, when, when it's all said and done, that's that's where the money is. That's where the magic happens, you know? Yeah. It's one of the best feelings yeah, seeing it's the, incredible. The, the, yeah, the owner yeah. sit, sitting up there sort of leaning down, hugging the horse, almost tears in their eyes yeah. saying, this is, this is amazing. Yeah. We, we had one really cool horse last year that um actually Warwick, uh, she'd sent a message because she's, she's a follower of Warwick. She sent a message to him saying, is there anyone in the, the southeast Queensland area that you could recommend that I could send my horse to? Uh, I've tried like she's was heading towards getting a, a first ride on him, but she's like, I'm just not capable of doing it. Who would you recommend? And that's when Warwick sent her our way. And she's like, look, she dropped him off for six weeks. And she's like, I don't even have the expectation that you guys will have this horse ridden in six weeks. And um, it ended up, we ended up having him here for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. At the end of eight weeks, she took him home and has been riding him around ever since. That's incredible. And, and, and the freedom that you have now handed those two, it's yeah. it's impressive. It's most commendable. Most commendable. Yeah, so that like it's it's those sort of things when like we just get like a simple photo sent to us, like them riding out on a loose rein in a big paddock when they've never been able to ride on a loose rein before. Like it, it's all those sort of things that like we literally wake up for every day. This is we've we've really found our passion, our niche, our drive in life and it, it's it's really helping people and horses to really build the best relationship that they can. And I think for me personally, the most addictive part of the learning process is somewhat what you described, right? When you're faced with a problem or somebody says this horse can't or I can't yeah. and it's like, just yeah. time out. Let's break this down. We'll make it manageable. And with due time, you can 
we just got to kind of change our approach and the way we way we take on any problem, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's yeah what's made Josh and I's business uh, different to other people is that we we do have a, a wide range of skills that we can deal with most types of horses. We we get a wide range of breeds. We've got we've had whalers, thoroughbreds, and thoroughbreds starting for the track. Warm bloods, warm blood cross thoroughbreds. I've got like a little elevenies. We've got Frisians. Um, like w- w- uh, we had gypsy cobs. What else did we have? Started a few gypsy cobs. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's the other thing. Like, there's there's no breed that yeah is, we're op- we're open doors to any horse, any person. So how versatile, how versatile. So when you talk about earlier, earlier we talked about right. You have about fourteen to sixteen horses you keep in house. And you guys are competing, right? How do you how do you make time? How do you create that separation, that balance between handling the business of, of the in-house horses that you're working on and then obviously getting to ride your own? And we all poke fun and make the joke, but it's usually true, right? The horses that are yeah, ridden last yeah. are usually yours. <laughs> yep, they are. Yeah. They are. They're literally the last and there's many days there that they uh, do do miss their work. But mm-hmm. we, we do everything we can to ensure that um, we, we try and – um, give them at, at some time at least three, three, four days a week if we can at least get to ours. Obviously, client horses are priority. They work from Monday to Friday, and if there is a particular horse that needs extra work, we'll, we'll work them on the weekends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Josh and I do pretty well. Like I said, it, it is just us. We prefer it that way. Um, yeah, it's manageable. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a fanatic when it comes to feeding and rugging and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, and I was obviously I was very lucky. Um, Kim come and helped us out the last uh, couple of months into last year, and that was like absolute heaven. I'll be forever thankful for her. Um, but yeah, Josh and I like we we really treat every horse as if it was our own horse that that does come through our doors here. And I think it's it's just our lifestyle. Like we 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 don't ever stop. It's, it's, and it's not a start work at nine o'clock and finish at yeah. five. It's yeah. a, you got to get up super early one day and work till ten o'clock at night. This one, and yeah, like it. That's that's fine with us. That's our choice that we made. We could have had that nine to five job. We could have had we, that. We did, we did it. We did it, but yeah. we didn't like it. It's so, it's amazing, and I I truly believe right. If you want exceptional results, you have to have exceptional work ethic. You know, and and cramming it into a typical work schedule, uh, it just doesn't work. If if you yeah. want the Not extra wrong. results, you got to put in the extra work. It's, and I and I think that was a, a big one at Dan's as well, like that expectation of some of them coming in that it was just like nine to five. I finished now. It's like no, it doesn't finish now. And especially because Josh did the the Mustang makeover and I did the thoroughbred makeover. So mm-hmm. literally, we had a lot of client horses in work and trying to work because um, obviously keeping Dan's horses in work and then. We had our makeover horses, so we'd literally be out there till mm-hmm. nine, ten o'clock at night. That'd yeah. be the last race that we'd be working. Yeah. We'd, we'd either get up at four o'clock in the three thirty in the yeah. morning to work our horse, or yeah. ten o'clock at night yeah. to yeah. work our horse. And we, and we had to work it every day trying to get ready for yeah, these competitions. Yeah. I'll tell you though, there's so. something prideful in, at least for me personally. I mean, getting up at three forty-five, four o'clock in the morning, right, and getting a two and three and four hour jump on most people. There's something, there's something motivating about it. Yeah. Yes, well, definitely. Like it, the, you just, you just wanted the best for your horse so much. And especially like leading up to those makeovers that it, when that alarm went off, it was like no issue. It was like, yep, up and out. Yeah, like time it to get after really, it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And having shown the um, the pride you get from the the hard work you put in and yeah. seeing the result from it. Yeah. It, it, it is cool. Amazing yeah. feeling. So in our effort to further grow this horsemanship community, right, and, and support each other mutually, can you guys kind of go through some of your social media and or contacts, ways people can get a hold of you should they want to, A, consume more content, or B, maybe even contract you out to, to help with a horse? Yeah, so we, we have a, a Facebook page, uh, which is under Knights Equestrian. Knights is with a, the letter K. And then we also have a website, uh, which is www.knightsequestrian.com.au. Uh, we also on Instagram as well as Knights Equestrian. Um, we do try and do a, a post here and there. I guess we're not uh, hugely, I guess we don't do a lot of, I guess, so much educational stuff, uh, like as, a, as if Josh and I are sharing stuff. Like that's a goal that we'll eventually work towards too um at the moment it's just sort of showing what we're doing with our horses the client horses um we, we are lucky we have picked up a, a few sponsors which is obviously will help grow their social media and our social media as well which we're, we're very thankful for um so and like i said it, it everything's still a growing process for us we're still so raw in the start of our business yeah. and really are, there's just the two of us so it takes, takes it just takes a bit of time that's all so but how exciting uh, how exciting yeah uh, we're, we're very excited for it and um we hope um one day we can make it back and do um more time in the states learning from others that's another huge goal from us like the thing is is that um, you, you can never stop learning. So we've still got this desire of people that we still want to go learn more from and hopefully get back and do another Mustang makeover and another thoroughbred makeover. So we certainly have more goals uh, for that side of it as well. How incredible. How incredible. So as, as we wrap every show, uh, I like to ask this legacy question. And the way I kind of pose it is, if you were to give advice to either your old self or maybe someone, someone coming up the trail behind you a little ways, based on your experience in life and or with horses, right, what advice would you share or what motto do you live by? A good, a good bit of advice would be, if, if you want something, work towards it and work hard. Like everything, you got to work hard with everything and keep going. Like it took took us. We wanted to work with the horses, but it took us years to be able to to go and we had to go do the jobs we hated to be able mm-hmm. to, to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's how it paid for our trip over over to Canada and the states. It's um, that's what paid yeah. for it. So work work hard, keep motivated, yeah. and 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 I guess that expectation, like just don't expect to be paid for absolutely everything. Like go out of your way to to do <laughs> to do truth. something. Yeah. yeah, like that's the thing. Like you, if you really want this in the horse industry, like yes, it's it's hard to get into. But if you if you really are willing to put in the hard work, you're willing to learn, um, and don't ever be afraid to ask for help. Yes. Yeah, always right. ask ask questions, and with the horses, make sure you 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 just if you're getting stuck somewhere, stop and look 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 and take your time and just have a bit of like. A lot of people don't have sympathy for the horse, so just stop and sort of look look at where they're from as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a great perspective, most definitely. Well, I thank you guys very, very much for coming on the show and contributing to the content and everything that we have going on at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. It will be very exciting to watch Knights Equestrian grow over the next few years. And and should you guys make it back to the states, definitely give us a call and we'll see if we can't hook up if we're not too far apart. 
Yes. That would be awesome. Yes. I'd love that, Jason. Thanks so much for having us on the uh, show. Really cool. enjoyed talking. I guess you guys have a, it's evening for us, but it'd be good morning for you guys. Is that correct? Yep. It's uh, <laughs> 10, almost, almost 10.30 in the morning. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. We'll talk down the road. You guys have a good one. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.